I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Today, we feature Texas poet Melissa Stoddard, reading from her debut poetry collection, I Ate the Cosmos for Breakfast, which is as good as it sounds. She's an award-winning poet who received the Forward National Literature Award and the International Book Award. And she'll be also talking with us about creativity. Then we'll take a look at a poem by Maya Angelou that Apple used in an ad during the 2016 Olympics. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature poet today is Melissa Stutter. Her new book, I Ate the Cosmos for Breakfast, received high praise from Robert Pinsky, who said, this poet's ardent winning ebullience echoes that of God. Definitely high praise. She is a host of Vita Voices and Views and vice president of the Women's Caucus. Among her awards is the International Book Award. Her poetry and other writings has appeared in a wide range of publications, including Poets and Writers, Psychology Today, and the Connecticut Review. So, Melissa, let me start right off by asking you about this uh, book title, I Ate the Cosmos for Breakfast. <laughs> sure. Um, it's the title poem in the collection. And um, it came about because at the time I was reading a lot of Buddhist philosophy. And I had read a book by Thich Nhat Hanh um, in which he talked a lot about um, the diet of what we put into our bodies as not just being the food but also what we consume daily in terms of media conversations with other people reading and that sort of thing and so i became really fascinated by this idea and how all of these different components um, impact us in, in our lives and who we become. So um, I just, I guess one morning I was eating a pancake and <laughs> one thing led to another. And so we have the poem, which then I, I really liked the um, title of the poem because I feel I have always felt this sort of omnivorous desire for experience in the world. And so um, I thought it would represent the entire collection well, too. Yeah, I, I found myself getting lots of ideas when I when I read the poem. Uh, for one thing, it, I flashed on that poem Allen Ginsberg has. Maybe it is called Mind Breaths. He has a book called Mind Breaths, I know. Mm -hmm. And it is one about meditating and how the breath comes through, but essentially goes all around the world, mm -hmm. you know, and does this travel and this, this great sort of holistic connection. Mm -hmm. Well, that's perfect. I mean, I, I love that it, it gave you ideas and that it made you think of that because ultimately I think it is about interconnectivity because, you know, when we consume, um, we, we connect. Yeah. And just now I'm thinking as I'm looking at the sheet of paper with the title, I ate the cosmos. Well, you know, if you are what you eat <laughs> and you eat the cosmos, you're the cosmos. Right. You're right. All of it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really spiritual concept. 
It is. It is. And I love that interpretation of it as well. People like to tease me about it too. They say, so what did you have for lunch? <laughs> right? Good thing. That's a good one. Yeah. The cosmos again because it renewed. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, let's hear the poem. Sure, I'd love to. So at the beginning, there's a little nod to Thich Nhat Hanh since it was inspired by him. So I ate the cosmos for breakfast after Thich Nhat Hanh. It looked like a pancake, but it was creation flattened out. The fist of God on a head of wheat, milk, the unborn child of an unsuspecting chicken, all beaten to batter and drizzled into a pan. I brewed some tea and closed my eyes while I ate the sun, the air, the rain, photosynthesis on a plate. I ate the time it took that chicken to bear and lay her egg and the energy a cow takes to lactate a cup of milk. I thought of the farmers, the truck drivers, the grocers, the people who made the bag that stored the wheat, and my labor over the stove seemed short, and the pancake tasted good, and I was thankful. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. Well, first you have the provocative title, but that doesn't, then I'm wondering, well, I hope I, I'm saying, I hope I like this poem. <laughs> I read that I read it. <laughs> you know how that works. Um, often get these kind of, let me, can I say these kind of thoughts, cosmic thoughts? Uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great question. In fact, I actually tend toward them, which um, is both good and bad for writing poetry. Um, the reason it's good is because I'm constantly inspired by ideas, but the, where it becomes problematic is that they're often very abstract and conceptual. So I have to find the pancake, so to speak, to pin it down. Um, and you know what what is out in the physical world that's around me that represents this idea that I can write about in a poem so it's a very interesting process and in that it often doesn't happen at the same time so I may I'll keep a, a notebook well I say I keep a notebook that makes me sound very organized in fact I have probably four notebooks, um, a few cocktail napkins, some napkins from the Starbucks, my computer, emails on my phone. I've got little scraps of things everywhere. And uh, what will happen is that I'll have, like I, I observe things and I write about things that I notice, um, just physical things in the world that strike me. And then I'll also write about conceptual things. And then at some point I'll notice these two go together and I put them together and make a poem. And it, my process didn't used to always be that way, but it has very much become that way. It's a wonderful method because I think uh, I used to feel like if I sat down to write, uh, because I'm a single parent, so I don't have a lot of free time, and I used to feel like if I sat down to write, I needed to produce something, I needed to complete something. The stress of that actually kept me from writing for quite a while. And finally, when I realized, okay, I don't really have to understand what's happening here as I'm writing, I just need to you know, let it come out and I can figure out what it all means later. So sometimes I may have an image that I was working with 
um, you know, a year ago. And then because I worked with it and played with it and it, it, you know, became something that is really in my mind. Then when I started working on a concept and I needed to pull that image up, it was there. I mean, sometimes I would literally find it on a scrap of paper and sometimes it would just pop up and I would say, oh, that one, I remember that one, that goes with this. Or I might start with an image and then pull a concept. It might work in the reverse order. But um, it's very liberating to just say, I'm just doodling and at some point this may turn into something and, and, you know, it may not. So. Right. And but when, when you referred earlier to how you didn't used to do it this way, no. is that the way you used to do it? I was just trying to get it all down one afternoon. No, actually uh-huh. the way I used to do it is I like this poem. I ate the cosmos for breakfast. I just um, sort of sat down and said, Um, I I think what happened was one of my friends said, let's both write a poem about, um, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what it was, just some little prompt or something. And I just, and this is another way that I write, I sit down and I meditate for like maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And then I just write what comes. I I don't really think about it a lot. I just sort of allow it to flow. Um, But what has changed over time is that in the past, and you know how they say, never throw your work away. <laughs> I used to throw it away. I would sit down, I would meditate, I would write for 15 or 20 minutes, or I mean, I would meditate for 15 or 20 minutes, and then I would go and write. And if I didn't write a complete poem, I would just be like, oh, I failed, and just get rid of it. Um, and then over the past few years, I just started saving all those unfinished, sort of abandoned, orphaned <laughs> right. tries and product. Um, attempts and so then now I just I have them all and I'm able to put them together in different ways so and it it, I think it makes the for me it makes writing more interesting um, because I think one of the greatest things that we can do as writers is look at like disparate elements in the world, things that wouldn't seem to normally connect or go together and find the connections between those different things. So this process fuels that, <laughs> like yeah. metaphor making, really. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm remembering it. One of, one of the things about uh, creativity is making remote associations. Exactly. A guy long ago invented a remote associates test, you know, to kind of measure your creativity. And I don't remember anything about it but the name. But the idea, like what you're saying, if you can come up with an unusual association, that's mm-hmm. what's going to make a poem really exactly. interesting and exactly. motivate you to write more, too, because you go, oh, wow, that's cool. Well, and just leaving the realm of poetry for a little while, too, I think that that's going to allow you to, if you're a scientist, to make a scientific discovery, if you're a chef, right. to come up with a new dish. Um, this is what, this is where we leave being just, um, you know, I mean, it's the difference between someone who can perform another composer's piece and someone who can can compose on their own, thinking about music. Do you know what I'm saying? It's where you leave the realm of just crafting to actual invention. Yeah, beneath it all, the creative process, I think, is very similar, if not the same, regardless of discipline, the kind of thing that's happening, yeah. 
and I don't think as poets we like to think about it, but even even in the business world or you know whatever work you're doing, you you have to be creative and seeing where um, things have connections that other people didn't see before is where that creativity often comes from. Yeah. Well, how, how about we hear another poem? Whatever you feel like reading. Okay. Um, I'm going to read a poem called In Another Dimension, We Are Making Love. What color is dreaming, you ask? I answer in the language of Fleur de Lis, Paisley, and Plaid. Then what is the sound of death, you ask? So I draw you a picture of dreaming. What is left to know but that I'm rewriting the formula for the air between us? Part nitrogen, part oxygen, the rest trace gases of love. Like you, I believe most in what I cannot see or hear. Anger, a wounded steam rising from the cauldron of your throat. Alchemy, the steam dissipates and you reach across the table for my hand. So I note that it was already storming before we arrived here. That my only proof is an exhausted cloud passed out in the courtyard and a thunderbolt curled up beside it. I point out that in another dimension, this restaurant is a bedroom in which we are making love. Don't try to understand. Just paint the air, human. Take off your clothes. Hand back your coat of arms. What you mistook for a person is really a country with a dark and sacred history and no scholars to explain away the confusion. Just burn the archives down. Everything we have to know, we learned from a picture of dreaming. Everything we need to remember can fit on a scrap of paper smaller than your hand. Learned from a picture of dreaming. That that poem goes a lot of places with the with the images and the and and the associations. Yeah, yes, definitely. Uh, I think I I wrote it because I had been in an argument with someone, which, as we all know, is never um, our favorite thing to have happen. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I just started thinking, oh, what? I just I wish this was another dimension, and this argument was not taking place. Yeah. <laughs> so. I like that the storm was brewing in the, that whole little section there. What was it? The, the um, I think you're talking about the exhausted well, yeah, cloud yeah. passed the out exhausted. in the courtyard. Yeah, the exhausted cloud. I love that description of the cloud. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It says a lot. No, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, now, before we went on the air here, we <laughs> were talking about the fact that you had written uh, an article for Psychology Today about gratitude. Yes. And you want to tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about your views on this? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Um, the article, actually, the, the woman who runs the series contacted me about writing something for it. And I'm used to writing fiction and poetry. Uh, I mean, of course, I wrote a lot of essays in graduate school. But since then, since I haven't had assignments, I haven't written many. Uh, but I love writing essays. So I just sat down and sort of thought and thought and thought, what can I write about? And it was near Thanksgiving. So I came up with the idea of gratitude. Um, but what I did that is a little bit different, or maybe it's not different, but what I did in that particular essay is I linked the concept of gratitude to the concept of creativity and um, living our lives uh, as our most authentic selves. 
um, about sort of seizing the things that we are passionate about, putting the work into those things, allowing our truest expression and how that actually produces gratitude naturally. So I think the example that I was telling you about earlier, I, I have a lot of examples in the essay, but one of the, the ones that I wrote about kind of at length was um, how when I was a little kid, one of my neighbors, a man, became obsessed with baking muffins and baking all these different kinds of muffins. And, it was he was so in love with it that he actually made more muffins than anybody in his household could eat so um, needless to say he became very popular and <laughs> so in the essay i just talk about how he was just lit on fire by this love of, of making muffins and how it not only produced gratitude in him but in everyone around him because it, it overflows when, when you have that kind of um, passion or fire for something that you're creating or doing, it, it overflows onto the people around you. And then they kind of are able to bask in that. If it's not a muffin or something that they can eat, then you know, it's a poem or you know, maybe you're a gifted um, decorator or <laughs> a painter or composer. So, uh, so deep, intense creativity uh, leads to gratitude, mm -hmm. and and also, I think you were saying something like, you you yourself are a creation that you're working on. That's right. That's right. And and, and if you do that, you will probably have the kind of view of your life. I guess we could call it gratitude. You, you certainly would be content, I think, mm -hmm. if, if you took that route. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because I think, um, you know, there is no reason to not go ahead and be conscious about the creation of yourself and how you become. There is a quote, and I'm, I'm sure I do this quote far too often because I love it so much, but the poet Stanley Kunitz said one, mm -hmm that um, if you want to be a certain kind of poet, then become the person who would write those poems. So it's kind of the same thing that we're talking about right now. Um, if you have a conscious development of yourself as a human being, then what will naturally unfold from that will be um, the kind of creativity that, that you want. Mm. I mean, it's work. It's work. Do, you, do you think you can, can, can you be very conscious about that? I mean, do you, do you try to do that or are you? I think it, it goes hand in hand with um, self-awareness and I'm not always self-aware. I think that, um, you know, we live in a very, very busy time. Um, it's just, we're, it's hard not to be distracted and pulled in all different directions and I do have to actually force myself and that's kind of my point here is that I think um, I think that people need to just consciously say they don't I don't know what people need to do I need to consciously say um, I am going to pay attention to the things that I consume and how they impact who I am which we were talking about earlier I'm going to pay attention to how my actions um, you know, what the ramifications of those are in my own personal development. And so if, if we are a creation that is constantly being made, 
and remade and remade, why not take some responsibility in that and really pay attention to it? I think, I think a lot of people have different ways of doing this. I mean, some people do it through religion. Um, some people do it through philosophy or as you talked about earlier, psychology, maybe you see a therapist and, you know, you talk about things. Um, I think there are all different kinds of ways to do it, but I definitely think that the idea of self-awareness does, um, you know, I won't say the unexamined life is not worth living, but I'm going to say that, uh, well, it's a pretty good idea. <laughs> it may, it may hurt. Um, in the present, but in the long term, it's, it, it usually is the best, <laughs> the most healing. Oh, you're being a good poet and saying wise things. <laughs> How about another poem? Okay, sure. Okay, this one is a little different. It's called Respect, and um, I'll just go ahead and read it. Because her body is winter inside a cave because someone built fire there and forgot to put it out. Because bedtime is a castle she's building inside herself with a moat and portcullis and buckets full of myth. Because when you let go the rains, horses tumble over cliffs and turn into moths before hitting bottom. Because their hooves leave streaks of midnight in the sky. Because stuffed rabbits are better at keeping secrets than stopping hands. Because when the world got shoved up inside her, she held it tight like a cable ball and wondered at the struggle Atlas had carrying such a tiny thing on his back. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I thought we could. <laughs> well, you got going on that one. Yeah, well, I was, I was thinking a lot about, I've been writing a series of poems about a little girl who has suffered some abuse and yeah. uh, ways for um, sort of conceptualizing reclaiming power. So. Um, which reminds me, you are, you are active with uh, Vita. What is the Women's Caucus? Is that part of Vita or is that something else? No, actually, that's part of the Associated Writing Programs, but oh, okay. it's not, we don't say the AWP Women's Caucus because we don't actually represent AWP, but um, AWP has certain groups that have caucuses that meet, um, and they're, they're kind of like panels and that anybody can come, but we just advocate for, um, for women at AWP and in the writing world. Are there specific things like the uh, way Vita tallies the reviews? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, more. It's it's specifically more tied to AWP and making sure that women have enough events at AWP and okay. you know, that that kind of thing. So, yeah, and that women feel like you know the things that they're interested in are represented and. You know, it's a place for people to speak about any concerns that they have. Uh, we've talked about things like childcare, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. And, and just mention, we, ha we have people who listen to this who are not poets. Tell people what AWP is, <laughs> or at least what it stands for. <laughs> right. AWP is Associated Writing Programs, and um, it's an organization um, in which a lot of different writing programs, writers, editors, publishers are members. Um, and 
it, every year there is a big conference and that's kind of what I was just referring to. And like, it, it's huge. I mean, I, I'm not a math person, so I don't know the numbers, but if I had to guess, I'd say like maybe what 10,000 writers show up for this conference. It's really, it's really big. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, that's what we're talking about right now. Yeah. But we also put out a, a magazine and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about uh, giving us one more poem? For some reason, I feel compelled to read this one to you right now. <laughs> Wonderful. Great. Nothing like a compulsion. <laughs> I don't know why, but this one for you. Thanks. Um, to be with trees. I dreamed of trees with blue veins in a forest full of wilting. And there, all my southern girl self, full of no thank yous, full of you first and go ahead and have the last piece of cake. I want that last piece of cake. During the trees made me my own tort and I could have the whole thing. My sisters, the trees, they said, come now, sit, eat. They had blue veins in the forest full of wilting and I cried. There were no forks. They said my hands were fork enough. And when I tried to say please, the, uh, the trees said my eyes were please. And they said my mouth was thank you. And the trees cried too. They had beautiful eyes for crying, a color I had never seen. So I named it, God loves your eyes because she made them this beautiful color. Now anyone who ever saw the color would think of the trees and the meaning of the trees, which was to be. Excellent. Thank you for finishing with that. It makes such a nice solid statement. <laughs> Thank you. Thank All you. right. I'm Charlie Rouse. This is Poetry Spoken Here. We've been talking with Melissa Studdard and hearing her poetry. We've been visiting with Texas poet Melissa Studdard. And now we're going to turn to an issue relevant to thinking about poetry. What happens when you love the poet and not the poem. There's a case right now involving Maya Angelou I'd like to tell you about, get you to think about. An online publication called The Daily Review recently posted an article entitled Awfully Good Activism, Terribly Bad Poetry, Maya Angelou. Now, in this article, columnist Helen Razor argues that Angelou has not been adequately recognized for her outstanding work for civil and human rights, but that simultaneously she has not had her poetry looked at with a sufficiently critical eye. The stimulus for the post is an ad that Apple ran during the Olympics that uses Angelou's sonorous voice-over reading of her poem, Human Family while portraits of a diverse international group of individuals flash on the screen. Razor argues that while the poem expresses lovely sentiments about people being more alike than different, it would not score high points for poetic quality. In fact, she calls it inane and simply dreadful. I'll let you judge. If you haven't seen the ad, I'll read you a few sample stanzas from Human Family by Maya Angelou. I've sailed upon the seven seas and stopped in every land. I've seen the wonders of the world, not yet one common man. I know 10,000 women called Jane and Mary Jane, but I've not seen any two who really were the same. Mirror twins are different 
although their features jibe, and lovers think quite different thoughts while lying side by side. I note the obvious differences between each sort and type, but we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. Responses to this critical essay uh, overwhelmingly defend Angelou, arguing essentially that her poetry does what it's supposed to do. It communicates to a wide audience about important concerns. One respondent suggested that critics of Angelou should read, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. That pretty much misses the point because it's an autobiographical work and doesn't really address the poetry. Bumper stickers can make important social-political statements, but they don't make good poetry, generally speaking. This brings up a broader issue. How should one respond when you think a person's poetry is awful, but you generally admire the poet and greatly support what he or she stands for? Conversely, what if you find a poet's work to be of high caliber, but learn that he or she is a dreadful person? Does what you have gleaned about Robert Frost's personal life make you like the road less taken any less? Should it? I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.